When it comes to investing, retirement, legacy planning, taxes, or health care, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight and unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your retirement and financial future. Good news, you found the Premier Retirement Radio Show with Jeff Bogan. Jeff is the founder of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management, and he's been guiding people financially and to retirement for 30 years. So get ready for an hour of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Premier Retirement with Jeff Bogan. And now, here's Jeff Bogan with Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Premier Retirement with Jeff Bogan, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Jeff Bogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing great, thank you. Always glad to be with you and the fine people here of the greater Tucson area on the radio. We have a lot to talk about on today's show. According to the Federal Reserve, the U.S. loan market is shrinking rapidly, and apparently there's a similar pattern with what has gone on today when compared to 2000, 2008, and so on. So how does this play a factor in economic growth, and should we be concerned about a tightening loan market, do you think? Well, absolutely. I mean, we are, we already are seeing that tightening loan market. Uh, most people are scared to borrow money at 7 or 8 or 10 or 15 or 20 or 32 percent, depending on what kind of loan you're getting, because it's twice or three times what it used to be. So people are a little bit hesitant to get loans. But when they do need loans to continue to carry on their business and to continue to grow and, you know, make ends meet, they're finding a lot more hesitation by banks to loan money because they're looking at potential default rates as interest rates go up, as especially these uh, companies that have floating interests, where now just their own debt service, kind of like the U.S. government, Government. You know, their own debt service now costs a lot more than it used to because they're issuing higher rate notes. There's a lot of variable rate mortgages. There's a lot of variable type business loans that is like LIBOR plus two or 10-year treasury plus one or whatever. Those things are all going up. And uh, when you're looking at some companies, you know, if uh, 20 or 30% of their total assets is basically borrowed money or supported by, you know, liabilities or money owed, I mean, that's a huge drain on profits, especially if buying is slowing. Now, you know, with, with inflation happening over the last uh, year and a half or two years, consumers, well, about 50% of the consumers are buying less or not buying anything at all and are getting ready to default. The rich people continue to get rich because they're still throwing money at the market. The market's been very resilient. It seems to go up and, you know, it seems like the rich people can do no wrong. They've still got money. So they can buy what they want and they don't really care about the inflation. But, you know, there's about half the population that still buys a bunch of the stuff, you know, maybe not half, but a lot of consumer goods, a lot of technical, a lot of memberships, a lot of uh, discretionary spending used to be done by those people that no longer can do it because they have to try to, you know, weed out those financial expenditures that don't matter and and take care of those ones that do. So as things tighten up, you know, we've already seen company profits this year compared to last year down seven plus percent. Now it's supposed to be something like down 7.7% and the reduction only came in at 7.2. I don't care. It's still down seven plus percent. Yet somehow 80% of the companies out there that have reported earnings so far over the last few weeks based on their second quarter results are uh, coming in higher than expected. Well, higher than expected what? Higher than expected lower anticipated return. So, you know, they're beating unrealistic realistic lower projections, making it look like, you know, they're doing better when in fact, they're really not. They're building up more debt. They're building up more deferred loan service costs. They're basically kicking the can down the road to where it's going to come to a head. There has to come a time when some some of these companies just have to kind of bite the bullet and do some resets on their finances. So many companies 
I'm starting to deviate my thought. I got this ADHD going on. I'm thinking about, you know, the dot-com bust and Cisco and some other companies that fake like they were doing okay until they couldn't fake like they could do okay anymore. And then they just basically wrote off all their inventory and said they did horrible. You know, took one big browbeating. I think their stock went from like 80 bucks down to like 15 or 20 at the time. But the company really wasn't in super bad trouble. But, you know, they had to kind of reset and then grow from there. A lot of companies, I think nowadays, even the companies that are looking like they're doing okay, even Apple, for example, looking like they're doing okay, but maybe kind of fudging the numbers based on, you know, anticipated sales and, you know, accounts receivables and things that they may or may not collect. And then now they're revaluing the company. I mean, you've seen Apple drop, you know, considerably in just this last week or two, because I think there's questions about, you know, how earnings are being reported. So back to this, you know, we're down 7% overall last year, still above 7%. People have been manipulating the anticipated earnings reports coming in higher than expected. So even though the economy sucks, and you talk about, you know, we're talking about 2% GDP growth with a 7% drop in earnings, yet, you know, inflation still, you know, four or five, probably more than that in reality, 3% if you use the manipulated numbers that they're uh, trying to throw at us uh, lately, which are always a little lower than reality. So, you know, really GDP growth is negative if you consider inflation's eat more than that up. You're looking at less earnings and you're looking at us coming to a head where, uh, you know, I just don't see any way out of this, but, you know, kind of that pushing the reset button, people having to kind of reconcile the books and say, okay, yeah, we can't pay these loans or, oh yeah, we're going to have to default or, oh yeah, we're not as strong as we thought. And then banks are going to be recoiling thinking, oh my gosh, you know, we're going to have some defaults. We're going to have to restructure some debt. We're going to have to, you know, work with these companies and we won't get anything back, which means they're going to have to take some uh, losses and forego some of the profits that they've been expecting. So, you know, banks are scared to death to loan money out. Partly is because they have to continue to get it back in in order to keep their deposits high enough to stay in business. Remember what happened at uh, Silicon Valley Bank, SVB? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they went out of business because companies had to remove the deposits that they had in the bank in order to pay for debt servicing and growth and basically business as usual without the earnings that they had hoped. And then, uh, you know, without those deposits, the bank could not stay solvent and had to divest itself, go out of business. So a lot of these other banks, even bigger banks than uh, SVB, are going to, you know, have to be very careful that people don't have to continue to take money out of the bank in order to pay their bills or to pay for their debt and all of a sudden see their deposits reduced. That's why banks are forced to raise CD rates to four and five and 6%. They need to keep those deposits so they don't have to divest and basically go out of business and restructure. So banks are tightening because they have to. Banks are scared to death, I think, to loan money unless uh, you're a super uh, ultra good risk. In fact, you know, I had a lady come in and said that uh, her son just took a $16,000 loan out mm -hmm. on a piece of property, but the collateral was that the parents had to co-sign and keep at least 150000 in the bank. Holy wow. smokes. Wow. What kind of a joke is that? And I don't know why they would go through with it, but this is a prospective client I'm trying to work with and say, hey, pay off that $16,000 loan, get control of your money. You know, otherwise they're just going to give you nothing on it and, you know, just be happy that you're suckered into keeping it as a deposit. So banks are playing all kinds of very aggressive games with the terms on which they're issuing any loans. And that is they want to collateralize them with way more than the loan itself because they want to keep their deposits up. So I do see some uh, weakness in banking. Uh, you know, we just had some downgrades by, I believe it was Moody's that you know, right. some banks recently. And you know, is the economy really strong? Well, I don't think you can always equate the economy with the market. You know, we see some market momentum upward. We see it kind of softening. Looks like it's going to roll over finally uh, recently. You know, and I think we're kind of due for that, especially as the economic numbers come and people see them as reality. I don't think the unsophisticated investor, unfortunately, there's too many new people with new money that I would consider dumb money that don't understand fundamentals. 
that just understand, oh, the market goes up, let's keep throwing money at it. And if they keep doing that, it'll keep going up until those people that are more bound to fundamental investing, meaning, you know, companies really have to have earnings, they really have to have growth, they really have to be solvent, they really have to not be going out of business, and they really have to have earnings growth in order to make them a viable investment long term. So, you know, right now, it's kind of a trader speculative market where people are just buying momentum and buying the technicals based on the fact that the market's going up. But for a long time, and I've said this for over a year, is there's no fundamental underpinnings that make me comfortable buying stock way overvalued on companies that are earning less and less and are getting pinched with uh, higher and higher interest. I mean, that's going to come back to affect them just like it does the typical Joe middle class citizen who you know can't afford as much stuff because the cost of using their own money goes up and up, especially if you want to borrow some. You have to pay more for everything from rent to food to gas. You know, debt expands the economy. And uh, the easier it is to get debt and the easier it is to repay that debt, the easier it is for people to continue to use debt for good things. There's some bad debt when you're pay- overpaying and you're not making money on the money that you're uh, borrowing. But you know, if you can borrow money at 3% and make 6 to 10% all day, you know, I keep doing that, you know, right? You're arbitraging the, the, mm-hmm. the loan value to uh, return value. So what about the other way? You're only making three, but you're borrowing at seven. That's a death wish for any company and anybody's personal finances as well. So, you know, that's kind of the state of flux that we're in right now. I think people are uh, needing to kind of regroup and relook at things. And I know banks are. I know uh, the rating agencies are. Shoot, they downgraded uh, U.S. debt on uh, Fitch uh, a week ago, They uh, a little over a week. Uh, you know, last week we got Moody's uh, downgrading uh, bank stability. We've got more and more people calling for, you know, a recession to come, yet the technicals say buy stock, the you know, momentum's still up. Uh, you know, there's a disconnect right there. So I think we need to be careful going forward. You need to look at the overall picture and uh, invest when it's safe, but don't invest when you uh, have a bigger chance to lose money than not lose money. And Jeff, the Dow slid about 300 points last uh, Monday, as you said, when Moody's downgraded some banks. And among those banks, there was Capital One, Citizens Financial, and Fifth Third. Those are some pretty big names there. Capital One, of course, uh, offers credit cards. And Fifth Third Bank Corp is a lot of automobile loans. So definitely the tightening credit market does have an effect on the economy and does have an effect on the stock market. Jeff, we've often heard that the stock market is a place to grow, but, you know, the stock market can certainly be volatile. Should we just ride this roller coaster up and down or what are some of the other alternatives, do you think, to the stock market? There's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting question. I, I had a recent doctor visit uh, just for an annual checkup and, you know, the doc, I had a new doctor and he was talking to me and he's, oh, what do you do for a living? I told him financial advisor. He's, oh, do you own your own firm? Yeah. What do you do? And he goes, well, I'm reading such and such a book, you know, and I'm like, no. I write my own books. But anyway, he says, oh, it's a really good book. He says, you know, when it comes down to it, there's really only two things. It's either you're an investor or you're a speculator. If you're an investor, you buy and hold and you just wait it out for a long time. If you're a speculator, you try to stock pick and you try to time the market. That's speculating because, you know, no one really knows what's going to happen. I said, well, yeah, okay. Well, that's, uh, you, you basically touch briefly on portfolio management. But what I do is more comprehensive. It's, it's uh, income planning, it's tax planning, it's creating income streams and stuff. He goes, well, it still comes down to just investing or speculating. I said, no, it doesn't. I mean, like, how in the world is this guy? I mean, I know he makes big bucks because I know what I just paid for a visit. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy's got a lot of wealth. Yet he's basically suckered into that little pigeonhole of, well, portfolio management, it's all about this, is buy and hold. So you either you know, buy an index and, and write it out and you have to write it up and write it down because
because over the long haul, you'll make money. Well, great. That speaks only to one thing, and that is growing your wealth, growing your assets. And if you have a 30 or 40 year career, you're making good money and you're living well below your means, which this doctor I'm sure is, you know, put your money away. Yeah. You know what? Dollar cost average. If you're continuing to put money away, dollar cost averaging in, honestly, index like ETF on an index is cheaper than trying to speculate and try to stock pick because, you know, the S&P has the biggest weight is the best performing stocks over the last 20 or 30 years. You've got the Google, Amazon, Meta, uh, which is Facebook, Netflix, you know, Microsoft, Apple. You've got all those core companies. Oh, and throw Tesla in there now. You know, these, these core companies that are driving the bulk of those indexes. So you get a, a weighted play to those, you know, blue chip stars that go to the moon. And when they don't become stars, then others rise to the occasion and become the next big stars that drive that index. So I, I, I understand indexing. I get it. And I understand buy and holding. I get it. When we meet most of our clients, they should be done with that. You know, they're 30 or 40 years into their plan. Hopefully they've been saving and they've been dollar cost averaging in. So if you're 30 or 40, go read that book. This doctor's probably pushing his uh, mid fifties, uh, looks to be close to my age. And, you know, I'm guessing maybe retire in five to 10 years. What about taking that money off the table? And what I told him when he asked me what I did, I said, you know, I help rich people stay rich. And he goes, well, what do you mean? A financial? Yeah. I said, yeah. I said, I help rich people stay rich. I don't want them to lose money. He says, well, all you have to do is put it away for the long haul. I says, yeah, but there'll come a time when you need income. When you need income, and it's going to cause you two problems. One is a tax problem. And one is volatility is going to cause you a longevity problem. So the same volatility that helps you buy and hold and be a long-term investor by buying the index and waiting you know, 40 years to use it is the exact opposite thing you need afterwards. So who's who's addressing that point? Wall Street doesn't want to address that point because they want your money to stay under management. I mean, the last thing they want you to do is start spending it down. I mean, their fees go down as their portfolio diminishes. But here's the deal. I mean, you work hard to get there. Why not make sure that it lasts as long as you do? And if we look back at the years 2020 up through 2010, that's called the lost decade for a reason. That is because the S&P 500 did not go up a dime during that 10-year period. It was zero. It zeroed out for those 10 years. And twice during that period of time, it went down 50%. So what if you've got a million dollars in there and you're spending money, and let's say you're spending an average of 50 or $60,000 a year, thinking, well, if the market averages 10, I should be able to at least get away with, let's say, 60 grand a year. But you're spending 60000 a year. But when the market is down 50% and you're spending 60000 a year, and it's coming off of $500,000 because the market crashed. Oh, and by the way, you already spent 100000 while it was going down. So in reality, you're you're down to, you spent 120,000, you're down to somewhere around $400,000 and you're still spending $60,000. Well, what's what's $60,000? Now you're talking about a 15% withdrawal rate. You just took 15% of your account out to live that year and that 15% is not growing back when the market rebounds. You can't do a lost decade more than once in a retirement with millions of dollars and expect to get through a 20 or 30 year period of time, let alone two or three times. And guess what? Market cycle several times, you're going to have probably three or four of these big market cycles down 50% during a potential retirement. You know, I talk about the story with Norm, who had a million dollars back in the 1999 uh, uh, time frame where he was, you know, told to stick in the market, hang in there, be an investor. It's long term. Long term always pays off. The market always comes back. Just hang in there. The market averages 10. If you take 50 or 60 out, you'll be fine. Well, he did that. And the market went down on his stock because he had high tech stuff. Went down 80%. He ended up finding himself 10 years later down to his last $200,000 out of a million and wondering why when the market was coming back, it, he wasn't doing any better. Well, basically he spent not just the 60000 a year for the 10 years. Again, he had a million dollars. So if he spent his 60000 a year for 10 years, he only spent 600000 But his account's down to two fifty. How did that happen? You could have been in a CD and still had $500,000 or you could have been in what we like is indexed 
annuities. Remember, back to the indexes. I agree. Mm-hmm. Buy the indexes long term. Just put your money in a place where you can't lose principal so that when the market goes down 20, 30, 40, or 50%, you don't lose money. But when the market goes up, maybe you only make half of the upside, but at least you make something. The market averages 10, at least you're making 5% on average on the upsides, right? And if you're making no downsides, okay, maybe you make 5 or 6% over the long term. Actually, you make a little bit more because that 10% average long-term rate of return for the stock market includes the downs. So even on an index product, making half of the upside of the market is going to average you know, more like 6 or 7, not 5. So if it averages 6 or 7 and you never lose money, that exact scenario 10 years later would have left Norm in a, in a position with about 800, over $800,000 instead of two fifty. So $800,000 is a lot easier to make ends meet on that same period of time, at least last another decade or two, when you're only drawing down you know, 20000 your first uh, decade, maybe you draw it down another 30000 your second decade, and maybe thirty to 40000 in that last decade. But you're 100 years old before you run out of money that way. You know, he's going to run out of money by the time he's 75 if he retired at age 60 in the market, and we have a lost decade. So again, you know, people are so misinformed. Wall Street has such an agenda. And even the advisors, 80% of the advisors out there preach the same thing. We're fiduciaries. We build long-term plans for long-term results. But what about the guy who needs income? Isn't that like everybody in retirement? I don't know anybody that doesn't use some of their investments for income. Uh, Nobody, no matter how rich they are. And guess what? If you have IRAs, you're forced to use some of it when you're 73 anyway. It used to be 70 and a half, now it's 73. 10 years from now, it's going to be 75, where you have to start taking money out of those investments. So either you're in a position where you can live on guaranteed income for life, or you have to make that income up. And if you're a doctor, I'm guaranteeing yourself, if you're a self-employed doctor, I know this guy is, he's making his own retirement plan up. So he doesn't really, he doesn't get pensions. All he's got is social security that might pay maybe a 10th of his bills that he's used to paying. Mm -hmm. He's going to have to use that money eventually. So, you know, nobody's addressing the volatility aspect. Nobody's addressing tax planning. Nobody's addressing income planning. Nobody's addressing reducing volatility with principal protective products. Why? Oh, because they're insurance products and Wall Street somehow claims to have a lock on the investment world. You can't call an insurance product an investment and investments are what you're supposed to have in retirement. No, investments are what you do to get rich. Insured principal protected products are, are what you get to stay rich. There's two phases in life, the get rich phase and the stay rich phase and the live rich phase by not losing your money based on volatility in the market. Jeff, before we continue, I want to take a moment to remind our listeners how they can have a conversation with you to answer their questions about the tightening loan market and this volatile economy. If you need answers and request your no-cost, no-obligation Premier Retirement Roadmap by calling 520-780-9059. Once again, it's 520-780-9059. Now, when you call, you get a friendly voice, more than likely Shelly on the other end of the line, who'll gather some basic information from you, then set you up with a conversation with Jeff to create a path towards your successful retirement. Now, remember, it's not going to cost you a dime for this conversation, but it could uncover some blind spots that, when addressed, may help improve your quality of life in a retirement that could last as long as 30 years. You'll get to ask Jeff your questions and get the answers you need to put you on the path to a successful retirement. Once again, that number, 520-780-9059. That's 520-780-9059. Or request your complimentary consultation online at premret.com. That is P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, in the past, you've talked about the dot-com crash, the dot-bombs, the housing crisis, COVID-19. Also, you just recently talked about the lost decade. And in a retirement that's supposed to last 30-plus years, do you think that we can expect these sort of things to come along on a regular basis? Well, I just talked about, what, four events, or you just mentioned four that happened in 23 years. Most people's retirements are going to be longer than that. If you've been retired this whole time and you haven't protected some of that principal 
and if you've been using a significant amount of your assets to live on, uh, you're probably wondering why you're running out of money. If, on the other hand, you've got a big pension and Social Security and you can just park it and hold it and you don't need it to live on, that's a whole different story. If you want to remain an investor on money that you never expect to use or draw down, again, that's a different story. And and, and we do have a portion of our accounts, probably 20 or 30% on average, you know, at any given time of our total portfolio mix. Although we may have more that's geared for growth, you know, that would be money that, you know, just really is earmarked to never use and just to park and hold till you die. Because maybe 60 or 70% of the other money can be structured into income, can be structured into uh, principal protection, can be structured into investments that we only use, you know, every five or 10 years when the market's good, but we can be picky about those and so forth. So again, it's just how you line up the buckets and what each bucket is supposed to uh, produce or, or pay for is really a strategy. You've got to diversify the type of money you have, not just diversify between the same type of money with different uh, ticker symbols or names on the account. I mean, if, if, if you have everything in risk, you're not diversified. Even even if you have 100 different stocks or 100 different mutual funds or 100 different investment accounts, if they're all risky and all have market correlation, you're going to lose money on all of them. If you have stocks and bonds thinking you're diversified because you have stocks and bonds and that's what Wall Street says you're supposed to have and a little bit of cash, well, as soon as your cash has gone out and the stocks and bonds market both crash like they did last year and like the bond market still going down this year and the stock market, you know, maybe going down soon, you know, have you set aside enough cash to live on? And by the way, cash doesn't pay a whole lot of interest. How are you going to make ends meet? So, you know, it's a big catch-22 sticking with the Wall Street plan through retirement. It's okay, I think, to get you to retirement. In fact, if you could start earlier, I would you know, certainly show how uh, principal protection, guaranteed growth and guaranteed income plans, especially for tax planning through LERPs and index annuities with income riders and things like that can guarantee you future income like a pension. I would love to start most people earlier. Unfortunately, most people don't start thinking about retirement planning until they're in their 50s or 60s or already retired. Then they come and say, okay, well, I've got my nest egg here. Now what do I do? Well, you know, we can do a lot at that point. It's harder when you're 80 and say, oh, I lost most of my money or when you're Norm coming in at 70 and say, hey, I lost most of my money. Uh, is there a way we can fix this? No, not after it's broken beyond repair. You can't fix it. So again, the earlier you start planning, the better it is. Right now, the market you know, has been doing well enough for the last decade or, to, or so that it may be a great time to reposition and take profits and restructure those assets so that you, you know, don't you have to worry about you know, the next lost decade, which might be coming up, or the next market crash, or the next dot-com, or the next bank meltdown where 400 banks go out of business and FDIC goes broke again, and they have to start printing money, which may become kind of another stimulus program, which will increase the debt and increase the stress on the economy in the future and do all kinds of more future damage, stretching the rubber band out. I mean, there's a lot of things that are about to go wrong just based on economic cycles and cycles that we've seen before. And certainly it's time to, uh, you know, take a good look at where you're at and make sure that these things that you just mentioned, these four events, you know, the dot-com bust, the, the banking crisis, the COVID, this recent correction last year, which I don't think is over. I think it was just the first uh, indication of what's to come. You know, there's, uh, you know, four pretty big events that, you know, could rock your world in retirement. And that's only been in the last 23 years. You know, what about the next 20? If you were 60 when you retired and you're 80 now, what if you live to 100? I mean, you might have another three or four of them to come. So, you know, if you haven't prepared yet, it's a good time to uh, try to get yourself in a position to where when those things come, it doesn't affect your peace of mind, your life expectancy, which can also be affected by stress and your peace of mind, and your life expectancy with how, uh, at least financially, of how long your money will last you. And Jeff, we've talked about the recession in the past, and still I'm waiting for it to happen. Do you think it's possible to get out of this without a recession? 
you know, a few weeks ago we had, I think it was uh, Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley or, you know, one of the big brokerage firms, I can't remember which it was, you know, mentioned along with a few others says, hey, we may, maybe we're not going to have this recession. Maybe, uh, maybe we're going to get through it without even having a soft landing. I think, uh, you know, based on how resilient the market is, uh, we should still be okay. And I'm thinking, these guys didn't go through fundamental school. They're just going through, oh, well, gee, the market keeps going up and gee, it doesn't seem to go down when there's bad news. Oh, well, uh, maybe we're not going to have a recession. The market isn't going to be determining what the recession is. It's going to be companies' earnings, companies' ability to repay their banks, banks' ability to stay in business because they're not getting repaid because of defaults and a host of other things. Then they're going to have to do layoffs and then people are going to have to struggle. And, uh, you know, Honestly, the government could throw enough money at it where the market could continue to soar to the moon. I tend to think it won't because I think there's going to be too much pressure if there is a full-blown recession. I think we have to have some recession. Those people I was talking about before, the smart guys like uh, Stanley Druckenmiller and Ray Dalio, who uh, tend to think it's going to be a little bit bigger, uh, uh, more of a hard landing than a small one because of debt cycles and credit cycles and all the things that are ready to blow. In fact, there's a few other uh, people I read that I have kind of come on board that I consider pretty smart and savvy, done pretty well for the last decade or two, but don't have the experience that the aforementioned people do, the older guys that have been around forever. But uh, nevertheless, all of them think that there's a lot of bad news to come and a lot of uh, companies are going to have to kind of come clean with their books and some of the gamesmanship that they've been playing to make themselves look stronger than they are is going to have to go out the window where they're going to have to just become honest and tell it like it is. The stock market will revalue to a more reasonable rate and people will be able to actually pick stocks based on fundamentals, values, earnings, growth, price earnings ratios, things like that, that make a lot more sense than just buying stocks for the sake of buying them because they went up yesterday and they might go up today. So again, there's a lot of things that uh, come into play, but I do think we're going to have a recession. More people are now saying sometime in 2024. I still think it could happen right after the third quarter results come in because I don't think things are quite as rosy right now as they were last quarter. And that's just my gut feeling. And I think we're going to have a good uh, shakeup uh, this fall. Fall's a good time for that. And if we don't have a good shakeup, we'll have probably a minor shakeup. We might have a little Santa Claus rally at the end of the year, right before that recession everybody else is calling for next year sometime. But I don't think we're out of the woods yet, not for a long shot. If you're just joining us, this is Premier Retirement with Jeff Fogan. I'm Jeff Shade, and we just finished discussing the strength of the market. If you want to hear the show again, don't worry. We're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcast and search for Premier Retirement with Jeff Fogan. You'll get this show and all of our past shows so you can stay on top of your wealth and your path to a successful retirement. Jeff, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got listener questions and more when our show continues right here on 790 KNST, Tucson's most stimulating talk. Welcome back to Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management here in Tucson and also up in Mesa. Once again, remember, we are a podcast. If you've missed this show or any part of it, you can hear it all over again by going to wherever you get your podcast, searching Jeff Ogan, Premier Retirement. You'll find this show and all of our past shows right there. There's bound to be one that applies to you. Jeff, time for listener questions this week. We'll kick it off with Kevin, who's listening to us in Oro Valley. And Kevin writes, I recently switched jobs and moved money from the 401k to my traditional IRA. When I did that, everything landed in a money market settlement fund. I reallocated most of the cash 
cash into smaller stock investments in my 401k, but I stopped short of moving the remaining cash to a bond fund. My desire is to retire in about four years. My plan was to have a couple of years of cash to write out a market like we're experiencing today. I've got an emergency fund, but I don't see that as being the same thing as holding cash inside a retirement account to write out these tough times. So my question is, when, if ever, does it make sense to move cash inside a retirement account leading up to retirement? Well, something you can do instead of cash to jump in front of this, uh, the answer to the question is you could put it in short-term government bonds, something that pay 4 or 5% right now. And uh, you can buy ETFs. One we use is SGOV, S-G-O-V. And that's an ETF that is uh, short-term government bonds. I think it's uh, zero to three months or three to six months, whatever it is. It's very short. You're not going to lose money if interest rates go up a quarter point by the Fed. You're going to keep making uh, more interest than you will if you just use a short-term bond account than you will you know, if you just use cash. However, I think you're smart if you're going to try to ride out a market like we're in right now and you don't if you have market exposure, you don't want to be forced to use money if it's going to go down 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 percent in the next year or go back down 20 like it did last year. Uh, you can't afford those kind of fluctuations downward and be taking money out at a loss in order to live. So I think your philosophy is correct is that you should have money, not just an emergency fund with the 10 or 20 thousand dollars in case the air conditioner goes out or in case you need to you know buy something quick or have a down payment on a car because yours blows up on the side of the road one day or whatever. You don't want to neglect that little emergency fund that you can get access uh, to quick cash. However, I also don't think you ought to stick cash in something that doesn't pay interest just because you might need it and you don't want to lose money. Um, There is low interest bearing accounts now that will pay you some interest along the way. So there's two reasons why I think you need to have cash in a retirement fund instead of uh, being all in the market or all in long-term type money. If you're going to retire in the next couple of years, four years, and you want to hold over, uh, you know, not use stock, is there any guarantee that in four years your stock's going to be worth more than it is today? Now you might think, well, of course, it uh, always comes back. Well, not really. I mean, we had the last decade. There was, you know, seven out of those 10 years, you would have been down and only three of those years, you would have been close to even. The start of it, the finish of it, and in 07, right before it crashed again. So that was 2000, 2010. What if you go through another period of time like that and in three or four years, the market is still down 20 or 30%. You want to have something that'll carry you beyond that four-year holding period. So I think the short-term money is smart. Short-term bonds will make your money last a little bit longer and pay your bills for a while. But you know, who, who knows how soon the market's going to pass. So this is a great time. If you got four years before retirement, maybe another couple of years to use that cash until you actually need the cash. There are income annuities that are indexed to the market that will go up when the market goes up. They won't lose money when the market goes down. So you have no risk on the principal. Yet because the company knows they're not risking your principal and they know they're going to make X amount of money on your money because they know how to invest it smart. They're institutions. They can invest it in ways you and I can't. They can give you an 8% guaranteed rate of return between now and the time you use your money if you want that to be your income account value. In other words, your pension value so you can replace some of that income you're getting from your job. So I would definitely look at income rider annuities, not an annuity where you lose the balance if you die earlier or you're locked into a low interest rate, but one where the principal can continue to grow aggressively based on really good years in the stock market, but not lose and be very conservative when the market's volatile and goes is going down and get the best of both worlds. Shoot, some of the companies, if you're going to use this uh, uh, chunk of money that you set aside for future income, some of them will give you a bonus, 10, 20%. It's not vested. You can't get hit by a truck and get the bonus to your family. However, you can use it as future income or to determine your future income level and create a much higher payout on that account than you'd probably get in a pension that you might have at work, probably better than you get at most annuities you can buy on the market that are 
geared for annuitized income and you know take advantage of the uh, benefit of principal protection, the advantage of upside with the market with no downside because of the, the way that these companies insure their products and their principal and be guaranteed a higher rate of income than you can get anywhere else. You know, some of these uh, incomes, depending on your age, you know, might be, you know, in six or eight years, might be six to 10% of what you put in guaranteed as a payout. Well, if the market doesn't go up for the next six years or it goes up and down and up and down, it's kind of in the same general area in six years than it is right now. You know, the, the rule of thumb says you should not pull out more than 4% of your money or you're going to be risking running out of money in the next 25 years. That's the, that's the 4% rule that was kind of determined based on a long look back in history actuarially in the 90s. Well, since then, we've had more volatility, bigger downward swings, bigger spikes up and down both. And because of that, you know, some gurus have said that the withdrawal rate on if it's a market-based account shouldn't be more than about 2%. Well, shoot, why would you only take 2 to 4% out of something that averages 10? Why not take something like 7 or 8% out of an account that averages 7 to 10 or 7 or 8? I mean, that makes more sense to me. You have longevity risk and the company will take over the risk if you were to outlive your money on those accounts. So I've kind of expanded on your question. If you're a total speculator or investor that likes to buy on the dips, there's another reason to have cash in an account. This is the other reason that you said, when does it ever make sense to move cash inside a retirement account leading up to retirement? Well, when you think the market might go down and you want to capitalize on a better entry point. Right now, we're doing that in our retirement accounts. Overall, we have a lot of money that's either on the sidelines, waiting to go back in, or in principal protection accounts that won't go down during these questionable times, but we'll have an opportunity to go up when times get better. So if you want to try to raise capital so you can find better opportunities ahead to buy after maybe some sort of a soft or hard landing happens, that would be a reason to have some cash sitting on the sidelines. You want to take advantage of those opportunities when the market gets beat up because the market always gets overbeaten for what it ought to be. I mean, there's there's reasons it gets beat up, but typically it's overdone and those are great opportunities to buy. Kevin, thanks for listening to us in Arrow Valley. We'll send you out Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. Our next question, Jeff, comes from Al in Dove Mountain and Al writes, I've got about $1.1 million in stock market exposure and about a million dollars in real estate equity and I'm 43. 50% of my expenses are covered by my passive income from real estate. My question is about asset allocation. I've got some wind falls coming my way from life insurance payouts and then an inherited IRA from an older family member. And that's to the tune of about a million and a half dollars. I'm planning on retiring from my job at about two years to prioritize being a good dad and spending time with my kids. In my situation with this upcoming windfall, I'm trying to figure out how I should plan my asset allocation today, knowing that in about 15 years, I'll get a significant chunk of money in addition to what I already have. So just looking for your advice, I appreciate your insight on the show, and I listen every week. Well, thanks, Al. I like this question. I, uh, congratulations on already being a millionaire at 43. Most people uh, still raising kids, spending all their money and don't start hitting that mark till a little older. So um, you've obviously been saving and, and doing some smart things with your money. Uh, stock market exposure, that that worries me. I don't think you can, if you retired in the next couple of years, I don't see how $1.1 million is going to cover. If you've got that much in savings, you've probably made a decent amount of money, maybe 150, 200,000 household income, I'm guessing. If you're going to live even half that lifestyle and the market doesn't do very well and it stays volatile, you're going to be out of money in six or eight years. And that that worries me. Uh, you don't want to have to borrow against your real estate. And the other thing is, is if this one and a half million is coming from family members and future uh, life insurance policies, are we sure that those uh, life insurance policies are going to be intact? Are we sure that the IRA is going to be to the tune of 1.5 
$5 million. Is that what the value is now or is that what you project it to be? And, you know, when you're planning 15 years out, there's too many things that could change to make uh, make me feel like that is a, a guaranteed done deal unless you're getting the 1.5, you know, in the next year or two because somebody's already dead and you're just waiting for probate to end so you can get your money and you already know what it's going to probably play out to be within a few dollars. That's the only way I would plan with those kind of dollars. Now, if you were to have the all 2.6 million plus your million in real estate equity, guessing that, you know, it's going to still continue to pay some of your expenses, you know, so let's say you're living on 100,000, it's paying you 40 or 50,000 a year, you still need 40 or 50,000 a year from the other money. You know, the market crashes, again, I told you the, the situation about Norm, who had a million dollars, and he was only spending about 50 or 60,000 a year, and he was down to 250 in 10 years because of the lost decade. I don't want you to be in that same position. So again, if you could structure a two and a half million or $2.6 million estate right now, I'd say you're in good shape. I could do that, and we'd uh, divide it between annuities that guarantee income so that you don't have to rely on markets volatility to generate income from and probably split it about a 50-50 type range. I'd also talk to you about LERPs, life insurance retirement plans, where you'd want to reallocate some of that 1.5 if it was coming now rather than later into something that you never had to pay tax on. I mean, shoot, uh, 1.5 million would generate a over $120,000, a year tax-free if you reposition that into a life insurance retirement plan where you got to borrow tax-free from the future you know, multi-million dollar death benefit. You get to use your death benefit. In other words, you get to use tax-free income uh, while you're alive. You get to borrow against the growth in that account, and that uh, account never actually gets withdrawn to you. It continues to grow, if that makes sense. I'm kind of capsulizing in a very uh, abbreviated way how uh, LERPs work, but we love LERPs for the income that it can produce and the fact that once you get that money and you've paid tax on it, we don't want you'd ever have to pay taxes on it again. Maybe some of that money that you've got in stock market exposure is 401k. Maybe some of it's already been paid taxes on. Maybe you could do, you know, life insurance retirement plan kind of thing like that as well. So, you know, I, I think a two-year retirement plan, uh, I think, uh, you know, staying home and taking care of your kids is great. I think uh, being a good dad is great. I think being a good dad and a good provider is also great. I think if you were stressed out with money and the kids wanted to do something fun or go to an expensive college and, you know, didn't get, you know, have that scholarship that you were counting on and you had to come out of pocket for that because that was uh, part of your goals. Yeah, you may be hard pressed to uh, wing it with this type of financials in place than uh, it would be if you were still making a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars in a job where you worked. Maybe you could just restructure your job to where you aren't a manager anymore. I don't have to work long hours. You could just go be a grunt for half the money you're making right now, and at least cover everything and let that million one grow for the next. 10 or 15 years till you get the other one and a half million. See what that two and a half million dollars will bring after you've already paid all your bills through either a part-time or maybe a less stressful job. Let your real estate equity grow, spend more time with the kids, kind of have a happy medium, uh, kind of a combination of all those things. But honestly, at age 43, I'd be worried. You got a potential of 55, 60 years to live if you oh, get yeah. to 100. I mean, that's how many decades with a big market cycle crashes that are going to wipe out income if you have this market exposure. You definitely need to rethink market exposure and you definitely need to rethink think uh, longevity and the fact that markets don't keep, I mean, the last 10 years, you probably made most of this million, I'm guessing. And you probably think that that's just how it works. Well, guess what? I've been around 30 years plus. I'm 20 years older than you almost. And I've seen some things in the market and how it affects income in retirement that would, if you saw it through my eyes, you'd very much rethink your plan. Al, thanks a lot for listening to us in Dub Mountain. And of course, you're going to get Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. Our next question is Scott, who's listening to us in Rancho Vistoso. And Scott says, I have what I think you'll consider an easy or short question. My father-in-law just retired, and he's wondering how to best withdraw from an IRA when in retirement. Do you simply take a fixed amount of monthly at a conservative rate, or do you keep a safety stock of cash in the account to draw from while the remainder rides in the market? 
I'm thinking of times like this when the market's down and systematic withdrawals would hurt your positions more while the market's lower than average. If you have a portion of cash, you could then buy more when the market is down or build this cash reserve when the market is up. If a cash reserve is best, what would you recommend? Six or 12 months or more? Well, now, Scott, you're doing uh, basically what 80% of the world does in the Wall Street model, and that is just portfolio management. You're just stocks, bonds, and cash are your only choices. Well, there's more choices than this. Uh, depending on the amount that you know your father-in-law has, um, he might want to take uh, half of that IRA, move it into an income account that generates lifetime income that pays all of his bills, and then it doesn't matter how much you keep in the rest of uh, market-exposed assets. But if you're only dealing with stocks, you definitely want to keep some uh, fixed account money or low-interest, no-risk accounts, which are typically no or low interest, or even short-term government bonds is what we're using now. Thankfully, the market rates are up a little bit, and our interest rates are up a little bit, and so the market has a product or two that, that works for low interest, even for safe money. The nice part is, is that safe money can be used for a lull in the market. It can also be used and converted to a market-based asset when the market goes lower. Now, some people thought the market you know, hit its, its bottom last year, and so have gotten back in the market this year after the market's kind of bounced off the bottom and come up a little bit. I think, you know, although there's maybe some timing issues where we could jump in and jump out a couple of times on the way because of technical factors, I don't think the fundamentals support it long term. So I think you're still kind of waiting for that buy-in opportunity when that capitulation phase happens. And the capitulation means when everybody is so scared of the market, everybody sells and even institutions can't keep up by uh, propagandizing the market and making us want to buy it, you know, with uh, whatever news they can spew out to us that, you know, makes them rich and us feel better. But unfortunately, a lot of the information we get out from the market makers of the money industry itself is counterintuitive, or it's not that counterintuitive, it's counter to what's really best for us. So we want to wait till, you know, there's really a good sell-off before you want to get in with that cash. But I think raising cash for two reasons. One is to take advantage of stock market reinvestment opportunities, a good one, and also to have cash for emergencies and even for a short-term living expenses to cover a period when the market is volatile. But how long is the market going to be volatile? Do you know? It's been a year and a half or more so far. Is it going to continue to go? Actually, it's been about two years if you consider that the market really did almost nothing the last half of 2021. So, you know, in two years, the markets basically break even. I mean, that's not a good market, even though people are really gung-ho market right now. It hasn't done anything for two years, and, the, and, and companies are earning less than they were a year ago. So why does that mean the market's at a low point we should be buying now? I don't think we should be. And I think you know, raising a lot of cash to either live on while the market uh, sorts its way out maybe repositioning into something that can make money if I'm wrong and the market goes up on those principal protected accounts, indexed products that have principal protection and guaranteed income would be a a nice uh, thing to look at for your father-in-law as well. I don't know how much money there is. I don't know what his age is. I don't know uh, what his lifestyle requires as far as income. So, you know, I wouldn't really know an allocation there, but I think you're thinking along the right lines. You're just thinking with the blinders on that Wall Street's your only option. And there isn't. There's a lot of stuff outside of Wall Street, everything from private equity to banks to you know, real estate loans to uh, insurance products, life insurance and annuities alike. So a lot of stuff out there that uh, you didn't add on your question, but a lot of things we probably should talk about before the final answer is, uh, is reached. Scott, we appreciate you listening to us. And of course, you will get Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. By the way, if you do want to get that book, you can get it today by going to premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Slide all the way to the right there to the resources tab. Click on that. You will see book and you can download your free copy of Retirement the Road Ahead today. If you've got a question you'd like us to use on the air, you can send it to us by going to primret.com and using that contact page. If we use your question on the air, of course, we will send you out a hard copy of Jeff's book, Retirement the Road Ahead. Jeff, before we keep going here, I want to remind our listeners once again that they can get their no cost, no obligation 
obligation. No judgment retirement roadmap with you there at Premier Retirement by calling 520-780-9059. Once again, it's 520-780-9059. Just a friendly conversation between you and Jeff to determine if you're on the right path to retirement. And if you're not, Jeff will offer suggestions to get you there. Again, no cost and no obligation for this. 520-780-9059. You can also request your Premier Retirement Roadmap online by going to premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, when people come in to you for their initial consultation, I would imagine that you, of course, ask them what you can help them with, and they usually say something to the effect of, well, Jeff, I just want to know, am I going to be okay in retirement? Beyond the obvious answer, it depends. Where do you start to discover whether or not they are indeed going to be okay in retirement? Well, you have to ask a lot of questions. First of all, you know, how much do they need to live on? Uh, when are they actually going to retire? Did they already retire? Or, you know, what are they living on right now? What's their uh, spending plan? I don't like to use the word budget. I like to use spending plan. You know, how much did you save? Have you started Social Security? Do you want to wait on Social Security? Do you want to take it now? Uh, do you have any medical insurance that uh, would cover long-term care? Or do you have LERP life insurance that might have accelerated benefits that would cover that? Or do we need to set aside some uh, plans for that unfortunate expense, which is typically the second biggest expense you'll have in retirement? above and beyond taxes, which is usually the biggest. Um, you know, and how do we uh, structure the payout of uh, Social Security plus your, your IRA distributions to where you pay lower taxes overall? So many people want to spend all their savings to have a low tax bracket right now when taxes are relatively low compared to what they've been historically and lower than they were even five or six years ago before Trump changed them when he became president. And then uh, they're going away in 2026 to higher tax brackets. You know, why would you want to not pay taxes now at a lower rate and just kick the can down the road and pay taxes at a higher rate on more money? Well, most people want to do that. They want to only take their required minimum distributions after they spend everything else so they can, you know, keep having low uh, Medicare premiums, uh, low tax rates, and, you know, save more of the money for growth. Well, all it is just save more money for growth for you to give the government bigger chunk and possibly be stuck in a position of where you're paying more for your Medicare premiums for the rest of your life. What about converting all that IRA money now, paying taxes on all of it in the next few years at 24 or less percent so you don't have to pay at 28, 32, or 39 or 40 or whatever the tax rates might go up to down the road for people that the government just assumes are rich because maybe you're living on $100,000 a year in retirement or something that we think is pretty mediocre, but uh, they think is uh, enough to where you get to pay more than your fair share of taxes. You get to pay for everybody else who doesn't pay. So uh, again, you know, we know the redistribution uh, plans of the government and how they work. We don't want to be caught up in that. We want to make sure that we have control of our money. So, you know, we need to see the whole picture. You know, what is your investment philosophy? How much income do you get on a guaranteed basis from pensions, from Social Security? Are you already taking Social Security? You know, can we keep your uh, taxable income under the level at which your Medicare premiums will be the least possible? Do you have a Medicare Advantage plan? Do you have a Medicare uh, supplement? You know, are you planning on travel? Do you like being stuck in networks? You know, what kind of plan's right for you? We'll talk about uh, your mortgage. Do you have a mortgage? If it's at 3%, keep it and keep investing your money and bonds and CDs for more. If you have a mortgage at seven, uh, you might want to start paying that off instead of losing money in the stock market and paying 6% interest. Again, there's uh, certain things that we you know, want to consider based on your risk tolerance, based on your investment philosophy, based on your uh, cash flow. You know, If paying off your mortgage and getting out of debt means you have no savings left, that's a dumb plan. My opinion is you should always have savings in a rainy day fund, especially if you have enough money to cash flow things. You know, I don't mind if somebody has, a, if, if you've got 8,000 a month coming in on guaranteed income, 
income from retirement plans and you've got a $1,500 mortgage and you're living fine on the other five, I, I don't have a problem with keeping the mortgage. But if, you know, paying off that mortgage for $250,000 would wipe out, you know, half of your $500,000 in total savings, I think that's a bad deal because you might need that $500,000 in savings for a long-term stay, for Alzheimer's facility, for a lockdown, for extra expenses on operations, Mayo Clinic, which Medicare doesn't apparently uh, pay for anymore, uh, or some things that you might want to do and take more control of your medical situation and have more money to do that. Again, you have to balance cash flow with cash. Cash is king. Cash flow is king, but you have to balance both. You can't have one high and the other negative or low, or it might defeat the whole purpose. Like if you have zero income, but tons of cash, well, then you're going to have to turn your cash into income, right? If you have tons of income, but no cash, well, let's just hope there's never a rainy expense or a, a surprise along the way. You might get lucky and that might be the case, but it's not usually the, the rule of thumb for by any means. So when people ask the question, am I going to be okay in retirement? All it takes is protecting what you have, having an income plan, knowing your healthcare options, reducing your tax burden, and making an estate plan. People may ask you, Jeff, I've got a million dollars. Is that going to be enough in retirement? What would be your answer to that? The same answer as always is it depends. It depends. <laughs> it depends on how much you want to spend, how much you want to, how much risk you want to take, how much your other income is, what your minimal budget is to get to make ends meet. Uh, for for many people, a million dollars isn't even close. Uh, for some people, a million dollars is so far over the top that you know I just don't ever see them dipping into it, even if we kept it in cash, because they've always lived frugally and they just don't save. I had a the guy who's an attorney living on thirty five, thirty six thousand dollars, has no debt, mm-hmm. scrimps every penny. He's got over three million in savings. He lives on thirty five thousand spendable a year. I'm like, why? And the wife's saying, yeah, why? Because <laughs> she wants to go on trips and have some fun. Right. And uh, actually, he's, he didn't become a client. He was a, a came came through a few weeks ago on uh, just a kind of a, a, you know, kick the tire plan. And when I said, you know, you can take less risk, have more money and spend double or triple what you're spending and never run out of money. And I can prove it to you. He says, well, my uh, other advisor told me that if it sounds too good to be true, you must be lying to me. So you must be lying to me. He disappeared. Fact is, are you kidding? I mean, you know, he's a lawyer. Maybe he's not very good at math. But I could show him the math at 0% interest as long as it's principal protected. Shoot, $100,000 a year, he's got a 30-year life expectancy. I mean, a living expectancy beyond and above his Social Security, which is basically paying his bills. So it was like, yeah, there was a a big disconnect with how far money can go. Again, if you're really frugal, I mean, that guy could have lived easily on a million dollars. He's not even spending any of the three million. He wouldn't even spend a a drop of the million because his Social Security is bigger than that. You know, I I can't just say with a blanket statement that is enough or isn't enough. A million dollars is a good number, honestly. A million dollars is kind of routine for a middle-class retiree now, in addition to a pension Social Security. It'll probably add another, you know, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year to an income plan if uh, you structure it correctly without too much uh, risk or worry. But you know, it's not the end all. If you want to live on three or four hundred thousand dollars, I had a client come in and had a bunch of stock and things like that. They were Raytheon executives, and you know, I basically didn't let them become a client because they had unrealistic expectations. They were making about four hundred thousand a year. They had uh, just shy of four million saved, but they wanted to live on you know three hundred thousand a year guaranteed for the rest of their life. I said, you know, guaranteed that's going to be kind of tough to push. There, you know, you're looking at almost like a nine or ten percent annualized withdrawal rate. Oh, and they didn't want to touch any of the principal. I'm like, 
Where are you going to get fixed income that guarantee that? Well, the guy over at Morgan Stanley said he could. I said, well, then let him. I said, because guess what? There's no guarantee the market can't do it. He said, well, we've been really doing good on our Amazon and all this other stuff. Yeah, stocks that now are down a whole bunch. And I'm really glad I'm not the guy giving him the bad news because it was a couple years ago. So everybody's got kind of a different uh, take on what a lot of money is or what a little bit of money is. And everybody's situation is different. Jeff, for our listeners want to get that question answered, am I going to be okay in retirement? Once again, we invite them to come in and get their premier retirement roadmap. It's no cost, no obligation, no judgment. Call 520-780-9059 to get yours, 520-780-9059, or you can request it online at premret.com. Jeff, we're out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time, of course, but most of all, thank the fine people here of the greater Tucson area for listening to us. For Jeff Ogan, I'm Jeff shade get out have a great weekend we'll talk to you again next week with another edition of premier retirement right here on 790 knst tucson's most stimulating talk investment advisory services provided through premier wealth advisors llc and arizona state registered investment advisor securities transactions are placed through td ameritrade insurance and annuity products are offered through premier advantage inc dba premier retirement planning and wealth management Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Any reference to protection, safety, or lifetime income generally refer to fixed insurance products. Insurance guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims-paying abilities of the insuring carrier. This show is intended for informational purposes only, not to be construed as advice or recommendations. Due to show format, accuracy, and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Premier. Premier and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice and may only conduct business with residents of states and jurisdictions where they're properly registered. 